I remember walking into my apartment one day. I just looked around and I just said to myself, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I was just so tired, so tired of this rat race. You know, just every day studying for the meetings, going to the meetings, going out in service and dealing with jealousy and backbiting and people who just weren't happy. And, you know, it, it was just not a place that I wanted to be. I just felt like there's got to be something better in my life than this. Lucy, are you still up there with that critical stuff, listening to those critical folks? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, Mom, it's just the critical thought. Lucy, you know the Watchtower Society don't go for that, reading other people's literature and on those internet sites, listening to those folks. You keep it up, and I'm going to have to turn you in. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hi, this is Lady C. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. I'm going to talk about how I woke up um, as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And basically, uh, I did not wake up because of the doctrines. Uh, I woke up because of the people. Uh, growing up in this religion, I noticed that um, our family, we got along very well with individuals in the Kingdom Hall. And we were um, a very well-respected family. My father was in the military, so we traveled around quite a bit. Uh, I was totally um, smitten by the fact that when you would go from one area of the country to another, you were welcomed with open arms. Uh, people were very loving. Even when we went to Puerto Rico, that was probably my biggest experience in seeing the love that was being shown by the brothers. And so my mom, every time we would move to a new congregation, she communicated with the brothers and they would send a letter to Bethel and they would find out what area we were moving to. And then they would send the, the um, a letter to the, the congregation that we were going to be attending. And so it was like one of those things, not like, oh, this family is coming to the kingdom hall and you're waiting for somebody to speak to you. It wasn't like that. It was this family has finally arrived and we're glad to see you. And this is the kind of experience that I had growing up. It was you went to the Kingdom Hall. You were well respected. People were friendly. They were nice. You were invited out to their homes. You invited them to your home. It was just a wonderful life. You know, that's what I remember about Jehovah's Witnesses. It was a wonderful life. And the networking was phenomenal. I mean, no matter where we went, witnesses were there. Witnesses would do anything for you. That was my experience growing up in this religion. Oh, yeah. And another reason why I really believed that and trusted that this was the truth is when my father and I took a road trip from Michigan to Maryland. So on our way back home, we ended up getting stranded like 60 miles from home. And my mom called all of her non-Jehovah's Witness family members and not one person will come and pick us up. And I mean, I was so scared. I mean, because we were out in the middle of nowhere and we didn't know how we were going to get home. But when mom called the Jehovah's Witnesses, the brothers in the congregation, they were there, Johnny on the spot. And I said to myself, I said, I know this is the truth. I mean, I was just so glad when the brothers got there. It was like John Wayne and the Calvary are here. The major crack in my foundation like I said, had nothing to do with the teachings, but it had all to do with the people. 
So my situation was not about the doctrines, but it was all about the people. So my first experience of noticing that the people, that there was something wrong with the people in the organization is when we moved to Ohio. So my dad was moving to Ohio because why? Because he was trying to become one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And the reason why he couldn't get baptized is because he was working as a civilian on a military base. And so when he decided to get baptized, he was still working that job. And so he decided that he was either going to quit his job eventually to get baptized if he couldn't find something. And me and my mom were supposed to help out and basically help make ends meet until he could get something else. And just so happened that um, my dad had such a good reputation there was a guy that he used to work with that referred him to this job that he got in Ohio. And so that's when they began to make their journey to move from Michigan to Ohio. When we got to that congregation, you know, I was dating JT. And of course, my mom, you know, how witnesses, they just love to talk. And so my mom was telling everybody that, you know, that, you know, her daughter's dating a Bethelite and all this. You know, my mom and dad, they moved in, into the congregation before I even got there. And so, you know, when I got there, everybody already knew my business, you know. So anyway, basically, uh, when you're coming to a new congregation, you know, you're used to being invited out as the new person on the block. And when I got there, this one sister, she's a regular pioneer sister and an elder's wife and all of that. And she had this get together at her house. The sister called me and said, are you going to sister so-and-so's for her get together? And I said, well, I didn't even know sister so-and-so was having a get together. So anyway, I didn't think anything of it. But as time went on, I realized that this whole congregation had issues. When my dad moved into the congregation, there were brothers that were losing their jobs. Yes. And they were leaving. And so the brothers in the congregation was like, how in the world are you moving to our area when we got brothers that's losing their jobs and leaving? And so it became a big issue with the fact that here my dad had got a job in the area and was moving to this area and other brothers were losing their jobs. So you would think that the brothers would be like, oh yeah, this is great that, you know, this brother's trying to get baptized and Jehovah blessed him with a job and he was able to move to this area. But it was like, oh no, this is just not happening here. This family is moving to this congregation with a job and we got brothers and sisters that's losing jobs. So they were not really happy for my dad getting this job. And then when they found out that they had three bathrooms in the house, it became a big issue. Oh, they got three bathrooms. Can you believe it became a big old talk about my family got three bathrooms. And um, then the one sister came over and said, oh, this would be a nice place for a book study. And my mom looked at her and said, oh, no, it won't. So right off the bat, you know, it was like we just we just got off to a bad start in this congregation. Daughter dating a Bethelite. Father gets a job and they got three bathrooms and they're not trying to put a book study in their home. So it was just crazy. And fortunately, I was not in this congregation very long. And um, I was there for eight months total. But I tell you, I did not miss leaving that congregation. So as I, as I moved on in my life, I ended up moving in with my pioneer partners, the girls that I knew from Michigan. And they were moving to Maryland. And so it was like, okay, so I knew that JT and I were dating and eventually I'd be getting married. So I just wanted to just get out of Ohio and get someplace else and whatever we were going to do, we were going to do. 
So they said, oh, yeah, sure, come on. You go, they go, I'm going to um, stay with them. And so I stayed with them for about a year. So let me just fast forward a little bit here. So anyway, so um, finally um, the day came. JT and I got married. Um, and then we moved on to our congregation um, in Alexandria, Virginia. And I, I tell this story to a lot of people, but um, I always, it, it's just so funny. Because you know how life can just, can just be so interesting. You're growing up, you know, you become a young adult. And everybody in your circle is married. And so everywhere you look, there's no single people. Nowhere. All these couples. You're not dating. You don't even have a prospect of dating nobody. And you're always the odd person out. Right? So when we fi- when I finally get married and we move to our congregation, we end up in a congregation with 40 single sisters. And so I go from being a single sister around all these married people, being the odd person out, to being a married sister around all these single people and being the odd person out. So here I am starting my marriage and all these women looking for Mr. Right. And it was just such an awkward feeling. So all this craziness going on with the people, and I'm thinking about how my life was growing up and how people showed all this love, how I love my congregation, how you just, that's how I identified this religion. To being in these congregations and all this backbiting and hatred and jealousy. And so I'm just like looking around and saying, oh my God, this is crazy. And I remember, um, you know, being in the congregation and you know, we went to this one assembly and the district overseer was giving a talk and, you know, JT and I were married. We have no kids. I, mean, I remember sitting at the assembly hall that morning and the district overseer was giving a talk and he came up with this um, acronym. I This is the first time that was ever introduced to me and it's called DINKS, D-I-N-K-S, double income, no kids. And so... Here we are being introduced to this terminology at the assembly. And of course, you know, he was, this was not in a positive light. This was in a, um, he was making this comment in the, in in the light of how many people, um, are married, they're double income and they ain't got no kids. So, you know, everybody's looking around the assembly hall, looking at all the married couples that are considered dinks. And they have no kids. And so the talk was talking about, was basically dogging us. Like, if you are a married woman and your husband's working a job and you ain't got no kids, why are you working a job? So here you got these people judging you based on the fact of this talk that the uh, district overseer is giving about a person, a couple being a dink, you know, double income, no kids. So you get all of this backlash, you know, you're going to work and you, you, you go to the kingdom hall, you got a new dress on and, and they're, they're keeping track of this. The, the brothers in the congregation, the sisters in the congregation, they're keeping track of every time you come into the kingdom hall with a new suit or a new dress on because they're getting ready to dog you. Because once again, you're a dink, you're a double income and you have no kids. And now you got a new dress on, you got a new skirt, new blouse. Whatever it is, they're dogging you. And so you're looking at people like, why are you judging me? 
And um, it's really interesting because um, when when JT and I were, um, you know, in the congregation and, and we were in the organization, um, we were just barely making ends meet and both of us were working full time. So it's like nobody knows what your bank account looks like. So I'm just telling you that a lot of times, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are just clueless about finances and about what people's bank account looks like. So all these little crazy things are happening. I'm noticing that we get these circuit overseers. They're coming into the congregation, playing favoritism. Uh, the wife is acting like a nutcase. Um, there's just no love being shown. And just people are just crazy. And I, I just got to say it like this. C-R-A-Z-Y. That's all I saw was a bunch of crazy people in a religion touting that we're the most happy people in the world. This is where Jehovah's Spirit is. This is where you have to be at the Kingdom Hall. And yet, I didn't want to be at the Kingdom Hall with the people with that attitude. It got to the point that I felt like our congregation had highs and lows. You could go to the Kingdom Hall one week, and everybody could be like jolly and happy and, 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 and excited to see everybody. And you could go there the next week, and everybody could be like on a low. Of just nobody was speaking, nobody was talking. It was like a, it was like one congregation had one personality, and it was just crazy. And so I was just, I was really in tune to that. And I guess the reason why I was so in tune to it is because, like I said, growing up, I had just the opposite effect. And I can tell you right now, I can see myself being one of those people that um, could have just left the organization. And um, been a walkaway believer because the people, I didn't feel a connection with them. I didn't feel the love there. So if I didn't get married and I had to go to that congregation by myself, I couldn't even see myself staying there. And I remember when we were backing out of the Kingdom Hall parking lot and I, told, I looked at JT and I said, I don't want to go here. I don't feel comfortable being in this congregation. I really don't want to be here. Now, mind you. We already had our apartment, so we were already in the territory. We were living in the territory. And I remember JT looking at me and saying, well, where will we go? What do you recommend? Where will we go? And I'm thinking, I don't know, but I don't want to go here. But it was just an eerie feeling that I had with these people. And I was like, something just ain't right with these people. And I did not want to be there. And I remember um, the sister that I used to work with, and um, I told her that JT had a job as a technician. And so, you know, I'm working a full-time job. He's working a full-time job, blah, 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 blah. So she looked at me and she said, he's, he's working as a technician. She said, well, then you, you shouldn't have to work a job then. So I'm looking at her like, really? I should have to work a job? And at the time, mind you, I was, when we first got married for the first six months, that we got that we were married. I was working part time, and but the but the bottom line was, she felt this sister felt like I should not have to work a job because JT had a good job. She didn't see our checks coming in. She didn't know how much money we were making, but yet she made that judgment that JT is making enough money where you shouldn't even have to work, not even part time, right? But I remember having this conversation with my mom about not having enough money. And we were like robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. And my mom said, why are you working part time? She said, you should be working full time. You know, and at the time, 
I was working for this, at the time it was a big six accounting firm. And they had what you call floater secretaries. And you would come to work, and I was working three days a week. And when you came to work, if a secretary was out of um, work that day, you would sit in for her. So it would be like a, we were almost like an in-house temp, but we were actually hired to work for, work for the company. And so um, it was a pretty good job. And anytime I wanted, I could go full time because there was always openings available. So the day that my mom told me, she said, you need to go get a full time job. She said, because you can't pay off any bills working part time. So I remember going into work on a Monday, letting them know that I wanted to work full time. And so I started working full time. And um, it was just really, really difficult because everybody was looking at me and saying I wasn't spiritual because I was working full time. It was it was just crazy. I mean, everybody was always judging you, always trying to say what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. You're not doing enough for Jehovah. Why are you working full time? It was just crazy, you know? So, um, so you got all this crazy stuff going on. I remember walking into my apartment one day and I just looked around. I, I walked into the apartment, I just looked around and I just said to myself, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I was just so tired, so tired of this rat race. You know, just every day studying for the meetings, going to the meetings, going out in service and dealing with jealousy and backbiting and people who just weren't happy. And, you know, it, it was just not a place that I wanted to be. I just felt like there's got to be something better in my life than this. So, I mean, that that was one of the things that I actually um, just said in the back of my mind that I just didn't know how much longer I could keep doing this Jehovah's Witness stuff, you know? And I still believed it was the truth. There was just so many things that was going on. I mean, I'm not even going to mention everything in this video, but I mean, when you just have all of these things happening and you're just you just have this bad feeling, it's just... You, you just don't want to keep going, you know, but, but in the back of your mind, you're like, but this is where Jehovah is. Jehovah's spirit is here, even though you didn't feel that he had a spirit there, you know, fast forward a couple years and we get a computer. And I think I mentioned this in our first video that JT and I did about how um, I was always told when you uh, look in a dictionary, encyclopedia, look up Jehovah's name. So, of course, when you get a computer, you're like, oh, what am I going to type in the search engine? I mean, as a Jehovah's Witness, I didn't type anything about getting a college degree. I didn't type anything about um, what bank I should go to, what stocks I should invest in. I didn't even think about that kind of stuff. So what did I do? I typed in something that I was very familiar with. Type in Jehovah's name in the search engine. Now, mind you, if there was no YouTube, there was no Facebook, no Instagram, no social media, nothing like that. But... There were some people online on bulletin boards. And I do know that Randy Waters freeminds.org site was there. And so we began to go up on there and look at that and explore things looking on that internet site. And when I think about it, you know, it took us longer than just going up on that site and reading a few things to really wake up and get out of this religion. I mean, I want to say... It took us a good four years before we totally woke up. But the way we woke up was through JT. And, and I think, you know, 
I am, it, it really behooves me. I, I, I just can't even fathom this, but remember I said I had a good experience with Jehovah's Witnesses growing up. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for me if I would have continued having those positive experiences with Jehovah's Witnesses? Because remember, the major crack in my foundation was all about people and their attitudes and the jealousy, the backbiting, the lack of love. These are the things that I began to see and observe in the congregation. So when I think about it, um, if, if I would have continued to have this good, you know, relationship or these good experiences, these positive experiences, then when JT came to me and began to show me things about the organization, I really wonder if I would have listened. Would I have listened to what he had to, had to say, you know? Because I don't think I would have. And, you know, my heart goes out to a lot of the, um, the men. We receive emails from all over the world from Jehovah's Witness men that are waking up and they're getting out of this religion. And they're beginning to see, hey, look, something's wrong. And they have made their decision to leave. But their wives won't budge. And I fear that I could have been one of those women. And if you are watching this video and you want to sh share this portion of your video with your wife, I would highly recommend that they hear what I'm going to say. When JT and I got married, you know, we loved each other. We, we had trust in each other. We, we got married because we wanted to be together and we are a couple. We still are a couple, still love each other just as much as the first day we met. I trusted my husband because I know that he's the one that's going to be there for me when I need him the most. And he never let me down. You know, he showed me that there were some things about this religion that just wasn't right. And when I married him, I have complete respect for my husband. It wasn't about, I've got to go and turn him in to the Watchtower Society, or I need to let them know that you're uh, an apostate, you know, that kind of stuff. Because I have a bond with my husband, not with this religion, you know? And so you have to trust your spouse. You know, if your spouse is with you, your spouse hasn't cheated on you, your spouse has been there for you every day through thick and thin, at the end of the day, it is your husband that's going to care for you and love you and be there for you. And so you owe it to yourself to listen to what he's saying. You can't keep using the excuse that this is Jehovah's organization. You know, because when you look at your husband, and especially those of you who have husbands that were in leadership roles, and you knew how devoted your husband was to the organization and how he carried out his responsibilities, why would you not trust him? Why would you look at him and think, that he's going astray. You have to put that trust in your husband. Give him a chance to explain it to you and, and help you understand what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a place to stay, is the watchtower going to put you up? Are the brothers and sisters in the congregation going to put you up? Are they going to pay your bills? Are they going to be there for you at your weakest point, at your lowest moment? Your husband. And for those of you who have wives 
that have left and the husbands won't leave, I'm going to say it for you too. Your wife, she's been there for you. She's done everything for you. And so when it comes to your marriage, don't allow outside forces to tear down your marriage. And be willing to be open-minded and look and see what is being said. Now, the reason why it was pretty easy for me to, to like open up and, and, and listen to what JT had to say is because we had that kind of a relationship. When things happened in the organization, we talked about it. When articles were um, printed in the magazine, we looked at it, we examined it as a couple. And, you know, when you think about it, th there's just so many dynamics um, that goes into this, you know, Jehovah's Witness thing and being able to wake people up and help them to see the truth for what it really is. But I mean, everybody is different. Everybody has different needs, different wants. So for people who um, have spouses that they haven't woken up yet and they're not really interested in hearing what you have to say, you have to understand that you're taking something from them and you're not replacing it with anything. So I'm just putting it out there and, you know, giving you guys something to think about and uh, helping you to see that you're not alone in the struggle when it comes to trying to get out of this religion. So anyway, so when JT came to tell me about this religion not being the truth and he started showing me all the evidence that he had, I mean, I was on board with it like within 30 minutes. I was like, yes, yes. You know, I was a little nervous. I was a little scared. I was a little apprehensive. I was a little like... What if this really is the truth? I was saying all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I was right behind JT, right out the door. This is what he told me. If the end doesn't come by the year 2000, I'm out of here. And at first I got a little nervous because I, I was like, this is 1998. And I'm like, oh my God, um, 2000, that's only a couple years from now. And I had made some good friends and, and I was having a great old time with my friends and everything. So it's a little bit you know, apprehensive about that and losing them. But I wasn't apprehensive about walking out the door from the watchtower because I just didn't feel right being there. Something about this religion just wasn't working with me, you know? And so, um, and, and we didn't even make it to two years because we left in 19, the, the same year that JT said it, once we found out that the truth was not the truth, it was very difficult to keep going to the kingdom hall. So we ended up leaving in April of 1998. So this has been Lady C. I want to thank you so much for listening to my story. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.